morning. I've been coming to this church now for about a little over 10 years. And my story of coming to know the Lord, I think, is very similar to many of yours. Um, sometimes I hear that those that, that come to the Lord, it's kind of something that just happens like instantaneously, right? It's kind of like the Lord just opened your eyes, you saw the gospel, you heard it for the first time, and, and just bam, you got it, which is great. Um, for me, and maybe for like some of you guys, it, the spirit just kind of took a little bit longer on us, right? And, and this didn't happen right away. My eyes weren't open completely. I just didn't have that aha moment like some other people do. Um, in fact, it kind of took me about two years from when I started coming. I was consistently hearing the gospel. I was hearing it on Sunday mornings. I was hearing it on, on Tuesday and Fridays at youth group. Um, one of the things that I noticed, though, that one of the most distinguishable testimonies and witnesses to me about the gospel when I was coming here to Edgewater was specifically the relationships. Now, you know, I'm hearing the gospel. I knew all the church answers. I went to, I went to my mom's church when I was younger. It was this Hispanic church with a bunch of old ladies. And, and I knew all the answers to give all the Sunday school teachers. Right? I knew all of that. But, man, there was something different. And, and not necessarily specifically to Edgewater. I'm talking about Christians in general. I'm talking about true Christians, true believers of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus. There was something very different. And I asked that often. Mostly just in my mind. I asked, what is it that makes them different? And I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. I don't know if, if, if what, what your story or how you came to know the Lord is, but, but maybe there was that person or those relationships that you noticed. There's something different about them. Maybe you noticed it was, um, a way that, that husbands and wives treated one another and the way that believers spoke with one another and, and lived their lives. Or you know what? Maybe honestly, maybe it was you that someone came up to you and asked, what is it about you? There's something different about how you are. And maybe you answered them the same way that someone back when I was a teenager answered me when I asked that question, what is, what's the difference? And he said to me, well, it's because of Jesus Christ. And then I responded, no, that's not it. But, but you know what? Here's the thing. Okay, of course, I, I responded that way. And, and, you know, for me, every time, because I got the answer all the time. And the thing that I thought of was like, oh, my gosh, you Christians, everything's about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, right? And it's like, but, but of course it was about Jesus. I didn't know that at the time, but of course it was because of Jesus Christ. And, you know, this was so important to me because it gave me hope. Because when I finally did come to know Jesus Christ, it gave me hope that the relationships, what, what I saw Jesus do in the relationships of believers, I had hope that he could do that in my relationships. The hope that I had was that my relationships didn't have to look like those of my past. That moving forward, because of the fact that Jesus Christ saved me, I don't have to have that same type of relationship with my future wife that I saw my father have with my mom. No, moving forward, I knew that because Jesus Christ saved me, I didn't have to have the type of relationship with my future son the way that my father had with me. It gave me hope. This was extremely important to me, and so my goal here today is that we may walk away knowing that Jesus has redeemed us for Christ-exalting relationships. That is the point of our sermon here today. Because you and I are saved, we can and should have Christ-honoring relationships, all right? So if you guys can come uh, to the throne with me boldly and just pray to the Lord. Father, I'm so thankful for all of those relationships that are just running in my mind right now, Lord, from when I was a teenager. 
Father, I'm thankful for the fact that you saved them and that you use their relationships with each other as a testimony to how you treat us. Lord, that is the goal, that's the point. Father, I pray that it would be clear that this sermon is not about how to become a better husband, a better wife, a better person, Lord. I mean, this, this sermon is about how to honor you in all of our relationships. So Lord, I pray for your spirit to move here. Lord, your spirit is welcome here. I pray against any type of pride from anyone in this room that would try and convince themselves that this isn't for them. I pray, Lord, that you would break down these walls that we have put up in our hearts so that we can just keep you out of it. Lord, I pray for conviction. I pray for changed hearts and all of this for the sake of your glory, Lord, for the, for the building of your kingdom. Pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so uh, normally this, this passage is referred to as the household codes. And, um, and the way that Paul pairs them up, right? Again, we're talking about relationships. And so he pairs them up, husbands, wives, children, uh, parents, and bond servants, and masters. And so that's why they're referred to as the household codes. I actually want to focus a little bit differently. I don't want to teach it the same way. Okay, so we're actually going to be focusing just on Ephesians 5, 15 through 33. We're not actually going to get into chapter 6. Because here's the truth. There's so much here that each of those pairs can honestly be their own sermon. This could have been its own series, all right, and so if I stood up here and kind of told you everything that was on my heart and what the Lord was teaching me, we'd be here forever. All right, we'd be here till next week, and so I don't want to take up your Labor Day weekend that way. Um, but again, we're going to be focusing on that, and, and though we will be mentioning the relationships of a marriage, though we will be talking about husbands and wives, again, I'm going to be repeating this over and over, that this message, this sermon is not about how to become a better spouse, all right? This sermon, this message hopefully is about how to have better relationships and how to honor God in every single relationship that you have, whether that be a spouse, children, your peers, your coworkers, your professors, your teachers, your boss, your employees, what have you, all right? That, that's what I wanna be focusing on here today. So remember that this sermon is for all of you. This sermon is for the, those of you that are married. Um, this sermon, as some people at Moody put it, some people are single and ready to mingle. This is for you. And for those of you that are bachelors to the rapture, this is for you as well. All right? So verse 15 through 21, read with me. Uh, we'll read this passage and then kind of break it down. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This passage right here can be summed up pretty much like this. Wisdom and being filled by the Spirit are absolutely crucial to understanding the will of the Lord. Now, we can wrap our minds around walking in wisdom, right? We can, we can understand that. But for me, the hardest part of this was, what, what is this action of being filled by the Spirit, right? Don't we already have the Spirit? Isn't that the mark of a believer that when you came to know Jesus Christ at that very moment, you were deposited into you the, the, the Holy Spirit? So you have Him living in you. So what is this action of being filled 
by the Spirit. The point here, I believe, is that, that we can actually kind of tune out the Spirit through our sinful actions. In the decisions that we make through our sin, we can kind of quench or suppress the Holy Spirit. And Paul here is saying this, and I got this from, from a commentary I was reading. God imparts his Spirit in greater measure to those who gather together as a community to worship him. All right? God imparts his spirit in greater measure to those who gather together as a community to worship him. So this is, we, I have three points here of what it kind of looks like to be filled by the spirit. And again, all of this covers relationships and how we ought to uh, interact with one another as believers. All right, the first one in verse 19. He's talking about singing songs and praise and worship and things like that. This is corporate worship. We are doing it now. This is what he's referring to. When we sing songs up here, we're not singing these songs because we love to hear our own individual voices. We're not singing because they just happen to play your favorite song. We're singing these songs as a reminder to one another and to ourselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those lyrics up there are extremely important. We need to make sure that they line up with our theology. These are, is a, is a manner of reminding one another of, of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. All right, God meets his people and strengthens them with his spirit as we corporately worship him and praise his name. Verse 20, it says, giving thanks always. I want to, uh, I want to quote here the Zondervan commentary. It says this, constant gratitude to the Father for all that he has done for his people should be a defining characteristic of the lives of believers. Constant gratitude to the Father for all that he has done should be a constant, should be a defining characteristic of the lives of all believers. So I ask you here today, church, is this a defining characteristic of your life? Can people look at your life and say that your entire life is a constant appreciation for, the, for what the Lord has done in your life? Are your words and your actions a constant appreciation of the fact that you were once an enemy of God, but because of Jesus Christ, you're now an adopted son or daughter? Specifically, do your relationships with other people show a constant appreciation for what the Lord has done in your life? So let me give you a couple examples that I've seen. Is there someone that you are finding it hard to forgive? Is there someone in your life that you're kind of refusing to acknowledge or, or reconcile with because of just, I don't know, maybe some, some way that they've wronged you? How is this relationship with them a constant appreciation that Jesus Christ has forgiven you for so much more and for so much worse? Are you being a good steward of your resources and your time? Are you finding it hard to give financially or to just simply volunteer for the many ministries that are in need here at this church? How are these relationships, or lack thereof, a constant appreciation that God did a lot more than write a check? God sent his son. So church, how are you, how are you giving thanks? And then the third point here is the big one, at least for me, the submitting to one another. This S word, if, if you're like me, man, this, this brings me so much trouble. If you're like me, you cringe at this word submit. You resist it at all costs because of, of the negative connotation that comes with it. At least that is that's what it's like for me. And the icing on the cake is this, that I personally associate weakness with this word when in actuality it takes a great deal of strength to submit. 
I like to Google the definition of words. Even if I know what the meaning is, I just like to kind of just see what, what the definition says. And, and it made me laugh for this one because it just kind of proved my point. I Googled it, and the little example sentence, right, underneath the definition, this is what it said. The settlers were forced to submit to Bulgarian rule. There goes that submit word again, right? Kind of this negative connotation of like someone was conquered, someone was stronger, and someone was weaker, and that, that's not, you know, thank, thank God, thank Jesus Christ that because of him, we don't have to have that same understanding and meaning of that word submit, that it means something so much deeper, so much more meaningful, all right? So the idea of submitting in the context of a church isn't weird, all right? We all understand that. That's a thing. The people in the first century knew that too. Submitting to the leadership of the deacons, of the pastors, of the elders, this was a normal, it was a thing, we, we can wrap our minds around that. What was countercultural here is the idea, the action of submitting to one another. This is the part that it gets messy, that it gets difficult. It's not, it's not uh, rare or weird for Jesus. Jesus was constantly telling his disciples, teaching, right? Don't be so hung up on who's going to sit where and who's coming first and who's greater. None of that. He, he kept telling us, be humble, Make yourself the lowest of the low and serve. And he didn't just tell us that, but he showed us that. Earlier in this book, the Ephesians 4.3, it says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so we do this by submitting to one another. Submitting requires an attitude of self-denial and concern for the needs of others. That is what submitting means. So let me ask you this, church. How are you submitting to one another? Again, it, it may be pretty easy for us to submit to the leadership of here, this church, but how are you doing when it comes to submitting to one another? How are you finding ways to deny yourself and to put others first? Is it hard for you to submit to, to other people in your community group? Is it hard for you to submit to other people within this church? Is it hard for you to submit, honestly, to the teaching and the leadership of the people that have come up here, right? Kind of this idea of, all oh, these young bloods, uh, I don't really need to listen to them. It's great that they get this experience. Do you have an attitude of, I could have done that better? I could have taught that better. I could have led better. I could have done, if, if I were in charge, right, and a lot of this me, I, how are you doing submitting to one another and denying yourself? How are you doing meeting the needs of others? It's easy for us to know and understand and meet the needs of our own or those of us that we love, those of us that are close to us, but how are you meeting the needs of others in this church? You see, the challenge here is to be, uh, to be different, to be holy, to be set apart. The challenge here is to be imitators of God like Ian taught us last week and to show our love to God by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So again, I ask you, how are you doing submitting to one another? Paul continues this thought of exalting Christ in our relationships through the context of marriage. And so how do we understand this, knowing that, that we were both man and woman, we were, we were equally made in the image of God, but we were given different roles, right? So how do we understand this? Um, it is our culture that kind of misconstrues this idea of, of giving women this idea of this is what you ought to look like and how you should behave and how you should be. And then men, if you want to be a man, that means being the opposite of a woman. And these are lies. That is not at all what it means to be a man. That is not at all what it means to be a woman. God has made us equally in the image of God, but we have different roles. So follow along with me. Verses 22 to 24, he touches on uh, the roles of wives in the household. 
Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I have here, if, if any of you take notes, I have here five points that we're gonna uh, touch on in regards to wives submitting to your husbands and then leave some room for sure because we're definitely touching on husbands, how to love your wives, all right? So I have five points here. Number one, wives submitting to their husbands does not mean that women are less valuable, less intelligent, or incompetent. All right, wives submitting to their husbands does not mean that women are less valuable, less intelligent, or incompetent. We must take our cue from the Trinity. Jesus Christ fully submitted to the will of the Lord at all times. Now, the three persons of the Trinity are all equally one God, but there was different roles. Now, for example, Jesus Christ was the one that died on the cross. God the Father did not die on the cross, all right? Jesus fully submitted to the will of the Lord, but this didn't make Jesus any less valuable, less intelligent, or incompetent. All right, that's what that means. Number two, you are not called to submit to men. You are called to submit to your husband. God has called and chosen one man to lead you. And again, let me remind you that submitting does not mean obedience. That's not at all what we're talking about. Submitting is voluntarily putting yourself under the leadership of, of another person. Number three, submitting to your husband does not mean you do not have individual thoughts. It doesn't mean that you do not get to express those feelings and thoughts. When I, when I, when I read this point, I, I thought immediately about, um, have you ever, do you know anyone that, that combined, a man or a woman, a husband, wife, that combined their Facebook accounts? You, you ever, you know someone like that? So here's what I'm saying, all right? There's nothing wrong with that, all right? I'm trying to not make con eye contact with certain people that I know that in this church that are doing it, right? But let, but let me tell you, my point is this, there's nothing wrong with that, all right? Although it could be confusing at times, right? Because it's like so-and-so's birthday is today and you're like, whoever's birthday it is, happy birthday, right? <laughs> or sometimes they post things and then you're just, they're not specific and it's like, can't wait for ladies night, I bought these new high heels and you're like, oh, I pray this is the wife writing this, please. <laughs> but knowing myself at how smart Alecky, I am, I'm just like, when I see them, I'm just like, ah, I'm gonna write something stupid here. <laughs> Anyways, my point is, that's okay for social media, but what I'm saying when it comes to real life, you are your own person. You have your own individual thoughts, feelings, ideas, and it's okay to express that. Submitting doesn't mean that you don't get to do that. Number four, submitting to your husband does not mean being passive. It does not mean you don't get to seek to influence your husband. I think about the Garden of Gethsemane when, when Jesus was fully aware of what was coming. Jesus was fully aware of what God the Father was asking him to do, and how did he respond? He's a human being. He was scared. He was stressed out. He said, Lord, if there's a way for this to pass, and of course we know ultimately what, what did he do? He, he submitted fully to the, to the will of the Lord. Your will be done. And number five, is extremely important and one that I, I'm just really passionate about. Number five, submitting to your husband does not mean you ignore his faults. 
Submitting to your husband does not mean you ignore his faults. You are called to submit to his leadership, but you do not get to stay quiet or ignore his sin. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but in the truth. And what I love about this passage is I know that it many times gets brought up in the context of a marriage, right? That's where we hear it is in a wedding uh, because it talks about love. But the funny thing is that the love that he's talking about isn't at all romantic love. It's not. It's, it's a love between brothers and sisters in Christ. And so because of that, I ask you this, brothers and sisters in Christ, all of you, whether you're married or not, Loving is easy when all it takes is smiling and handshakes on a Sunday morning, but how are you loving during the hard times? What happens when that person wrongs you? What about when your good friend, maybe on your floor at Moody, maybe here in this church, what, what, what happens when your good friend is living in sin? Are you rejoicing in the wrongdoing and not in the truth? Are you ignoring it? If you claim the name of Christ and you are called to love one another, and in order to truly love one another, you must practice confrontation. This is an absolute must amongst the church, amongst believers. This should be one of the things that we should be seeing in the relationships of one another here in this church. We cannot hide behind the excuses of it being too awkward, of us not knowing what to say, it might ruin the friendship. Hopefully someone else will do it. We must practice confrontation. So again, because this isn't a sermon about how to become a better wife or husband, this goes the same for, for, for spouses. Husbands and wives, are you loving your spouse? Did you really mean what you said in your vows? Are you calling each other out in your sin? And my last point on this, I kind of wanted to just share this. Um, when you do this, please, please do it in love. Speak truth and love. Don't be like one of my friends. I remember one time he said this in front of me and his wife. I, I, I kid you not, this really happened. The, the number one sure way how to start a fight in your marriage, he said to her, you're acting like your mother. I almost passed out. I almost had this like, bro, what did you just say? Oh my gosh. It was... I'm sorry, this is a youth pastor in me. You ever seen that meme that's like, no, baby, what is you doing? That was what I was experiencing. I was like, oh, no, baby, what is you doing? <sighs> he had to explain to everyone, well, I got this black eye from, no, okay, so when you do that, please do it in love. Half the battle, half the battle in confrontation is knowing when and how to bring it up, all right? So even if that were true, even if that was something that he wanted to bring up to his wife, knowing how and when to do it um, is extremely important. So to all the wives here today, I want to ask you, how are you doing submitting to your husbands? How are you doing submitting to your husbands? How are you doing in honoring God through your relationship with your husbands? Are you honoring him and respecting him in the way that you talk about him in front of him or even when he's not there? What about in the way that you talk about him to your kids? How are you doing submitting to your husband? And to all uh, the single ladies, I'm not gonna bust out on a Beyonce dance, to all the single ladies here, um, I wanna tell you this, first and foremost, singleness is not a curse or a punishment. Singleness is not a curse or a punishment. Marriage does not confirm your worth or your beauty, all right? The truth is that some of you will remain single for the rest of your lives and that is okay. 
And for some of you, the Lord has for you to marry someone, and that is okay too. It does not confirm your worth or your beauty. But for those of you that uh, will be married one day, you will be asked, again, because of this passage, you will be asked to submit to your husband. And you marrying him, essentially what you're saying is you trust him to lead you and your future family well. And how do you know if he's going to lead your future family well? Well, then I give you this advice. Ask this one question when you're dating him. Does this man love Jesus more than he loves me? Does this man love Jesus more than he loves me? Because let me tell you, as I just kind of have this like big brother feeling right now that I want to give you guys, all right? Because if the answer to that is no, then you have absolutely no business even entertaining the idea of being with him. But I love him. He's cute. He has a six-pack. I don't care, all right? If he doesn't love Jesus more than he loves you, it doesn't matter. He is not ready for marriage. He will not lead your family well. If the answer is yes, he does love Jesus more than he loves me, just know he's going to make mistakes. Pray for him. Be patient with him. He's going to learn. He's going to figure out this whole husband thing. I've been married for five years, and I, honestly, I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't think I'll ever get the hang of, of being a husband. Right? I'm learning every day. Husbands. <laughs> Husbands. All right. In our youth group, in the high school youth group, we're going every Friday, uh, sorry, every Thursday, we're going through a book right now called Daddy Issues, um, written by Cole Brown. And it's an amazing book. I love it. Um, we go every week over, uh, over this issue, this idea, this heartbreaking reality in our culture today that says men are not leading well. That's just the sad truth of our culture today. Men are not leading well. Now, I know that the temptation here for us men today is to tune all of this out. The temptation here is to believe that none of this applies to you or me. The temptation here is to, to, to keep repeating the excuses of why we don't need to listen or maybe the ways that we do this perfectly, right? And that we probably in hope that, con- that we convince ourselves of this enough that what it does is it frees us from all type of responsibility and accountability, because that is what we're prone to. Men, you and I, we're prone to defer responsibility and deny accountability. And this has been the case since the beginning with Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve in the garden, who sinned first? It was Eve. And then she gave the fruit to Adam. Adam ate of it. Adam was there with her the entire time, passively watching her take this fruit, be tempted, eat of it, and then hand it over to him. He was with her the entire time. So now they both sinned. And when God came looking for them and he asked them, what is it that you've done? What, how does Adam respond? Does he own up to it? Does he own his responsibility and take accountability? No. He says, it was the woman you gave me, first of all, God, all right? She made me sin. That wasn't my fault. Adam deferred responsibility and denied accountability. And the other thing that we can learn from this gentleman is that when they both sinned, when God came looking for them, who did he call for? He didn't say, Adam and Eve, where are you? Did he know where they were? Of course he knew where they were. Did he know that both of them sinned? Of course he knew. But who did he call for? Adam, where are you? 
what we can take away from this is, is knowing that as men, as leaders of our households, as leaders of our families, we are not just responsible for our own sins, but we are responsible for the sins of our family. Marriage is not meant to be taken lightly. This is a very heavy responsibility. I see this in our culture so many times. We spend so much time and money and effort into the wedding day, but we don't even give the actual marriage a second thought. Marriage is not meant to be taken lightly. Husbands, we are called to be leaders in every aspect of our families. And again, why? This is not meant to be, okay, this is how to be a better husband. Again, I know I'm repeating this often, but that's not what this sermon is. We are to be loving and good husbands. Why? Because Jesus is that perfect example of a loving husband. If you had an absent, abusive, or an aloof father, I genuinely apologize. I can truly look you in the eye and say, I know what it's like, and I'm sorry. But I have great news for you. You and I no longer get to attribute our shortcomings as a man, as a husband, as a father to that fact. You and I now have a perfect example of a loving husband and a loving father in Jesus Christ. We are called to imitate God in everything we do, including all of our relationships. You and I now have a perfect example, even if our own father was absent, abusive, or aloof and lacked in that situation. We have hope knowing that moving forward, our relationships do not need to look like they did in the past. We are different. We are changed. We are a new creation. So do not ask the question, am I the leader of this household? You know the answer to this. You are. That is who you are. You are the leader of this household, men. The question you should be asking is, am I being a loving leader of my household like Jesus? Follow along with me. Verses 25 through 33 covers husbands loving their wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives and as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So we have four points here for the husbands, and, and then we will be done. All right. Number one, husbands, love your wives by giving yourself up for her. Love your wives by giving yourself up for her. This can be practically displayed in a million ways, but what it ultimately means is this. We must have a willingness to sacrifice everything for the benefit and well-being of our wife. We must be, have a willingness to sacrifice everything. You see, too many men have this mentality, this chauvinistic mentality of, of thinking that providing financially is just enough that they can get by on just that, that they're a good father and a good husband just because of that fact. They have this mentality of, you know what, you have a roof over your head and food in your bellies and clothes on your back. I've done my job. 
When here's the truth, yes, you know what, that is a good and it's an important responsibility that the husband has on his family, but that's not all of it. And let me remind you that working harder than the next guy so that you have a job is kind of part of the curse that God gave to men when Adam and Eve sinned. That's all of us. We're all working hard. You see, what you do is that when you, when you take this idea of I'm working really hard so this is my excuse for not having any of my other responsibilities that I should have, you are throwing it in the face of your wife and you are deferring your responsibilities and putting it onto the shoulders of other people. That is what's happening in this context, in this situation. So, so don't, don't do that. Your responsibility is you are a leader in every single aspect of your household. Don't defer the responsibility of taking care of your kids on the shoulders of your wife. Help out. Do the chores. Do the cleaning. Change the diapers. Give them baths. Read them a story. Help with the homework. Take them to their recital. All the fun things that a father gets to do, help out with that. Put the TV remote down. Put the cell phone down. Do not, do not defer the responsibility of leading your kids spiritually onto the shoulders of Sunday school teachers or youth group leaders. I can't tell you how many times I see this. As a youth group leader, that's not my job. That's not my responsibility. That's yours. I take that back. I'm sorry. That's not your responsibility. That's your privilege. It is an honor to know that Jesus Christ trusted you with the nurturing and caring for your family. That is a privilege that I get to look forward to. I hear, all, I hear this uh, a lot as well. Oh, he's a good father, but... He's not a very good husband. You ever heard that? Is that possible? Let me tell you, I don't think that's possible. I don't think you can be a good father, but be a very disrespectful and selfish husband. Your job as a leader is to be a leader in every single aspect of your household, of your family. This is your role. This should be your priorities moving forward, all right? It should be Christian, husband, father, employer. Though that is your role, Christian, husband, father, and employer. Number two, husbands, love your wives by washing her with the word. I do not mean cleansing her of her sin. I do not mean saving her of her sin. Obviously, that is what Jesus has done. What I'm referring to is by leading by example. Are you praying for your wife regularly? Are you praying with your wife regularly? Are you pointing her to Jesus and encouraging her in her daily quiet devotions by doing your own daily quiet devotions? And as a reminder, wives, this does not mean that your spiritual growth is dependent on your husband leading well. If your husband is not leading well, this doesn't make it okay for you to not be going to church and being in community with other believers. This doesn't make it okay for you to not be in your word or prayer. I see this too often. I know it's old school. I know it's very, you know, the way that they do it back in the day. I can't go to church because my husband's not with me. No. If your husband's not leading you well, I'm, I'm very sorry. I want you to know that that's not how God intended it to be but it doesn't make it okay for you to not do those things. Number three, husbands love your wives by nourishing and cherishing her. Have you ever seen a wife that is cherished by her husband? It's beautiful. I have seen it. I've seen it a lot, and I'm so grateful for those relationships. Have you ever seen that? She's just glowing 
right? And you can see it on her face. You can see it in the way that she talks about her husband. You can see it on her face and the way she talks to her kids and just everything about her, right? It's, it's awesome to see and it challenges me. I want to make sure that, that I'm living in a way that my wife knows she's cherished. You ever seen a wife that isn't cherished by her husband? Again, this is not some type of happy wife, happy life sermon. This is explaining that Jesus is the groom and his bride is the church and he nourishes and cherishes us every day by sanctifying us. We ought to do the same. We need to be imitators of God and do that with our wives. Husband, nourish and cherish your wife. And finally, number four, husbands, love your wives as yourselves. We as individuals know and understand our own needs, wants, and desires. Loving your wife as yourself means putting her needs, wants, and desires above your own. That's what that means. One way to know if you're doing this, I want you to ask yourself right now, just simply, do you know what your wife's needs, wants, and desires are? When was the last time you asked her that? You see, we are called, this entire chapter, this whole book, we are called to understand who we are in Jesus Christ. And then at the beginning of chapter 5, it gave us this, this challenge of being imitators of God. And we must walk in the light, we must walk in wisdom and being filled by the Spirit. And all of our relationships here are tangible ways to express the love and grace of God so that others may see it. Not so that they give us praise, but that they may know that there is a loving and merciful God in heaven that wants a relationship with us. Ladies and gentlemen, we are redeemed for Christ-exalting relationships. Pray with me. Lord, my prayer is that as we go out here today, we may understand, we may know that in every relationship that we have, whether we're married or not, whether we feel like we're an adult or not, every relationship we have, we can honor you and glorify you and, and we can imitate your love for us through our relationships. It is a very tangible way that people get to see that. Lord, I pray that we would be challenged not just here today, but also throughout this whole week, that we may be challenged in, in asking ourselves, how are we submitting to one another? How am I denying myself and meeting the needs of other people, not just those that are close to me, but those that I may not know? How am I being a loving husband? Am I meeting all of these needs? Am I, am I imitating Jesus Christ as the perfect loving husband to my wife? Am I submitting and loving my husband, submitting to my husband and loving my husband in the same way that the church submits to Christ, the way that Jesus submitted to the Father? How are my relationships bringing honor and glory to you, Jesus Christ? That's what I pray for. That we may deny ourselves, that we may humble ourselves and become servants like you did. Lord, I pray these things in your name. Amen.